Welcome back to Basecamp, where we are continuing our systematic theology study by turning our attention in this episode to the doctrine of God's providence. Now, there's much to say, and much can be said, about the doctrine of providence. And if you don't believe me, you can just Google John Piper's latest book entitled Providence and see how many pages long it is. <laughs> and so while we won't be able to go as in-depth in this episode and the next one uh, on uh, the, you know, the, the doctrine of God's providence, as Piper does uh, in his book, I, I do pray that this study will help us. And so to kind of set the stage for us, in this episode, we're going to talk about two main things. Firstly, we're going to talk about what the doctrine of providence is. And then we're going to talk about several implications of the doctrine of providence for our lives. So let's get to it. Now, as we are getting started, you might be wondering, what is Providence, like is it just that seminary that's south of the city? Uh, you know, uh, you might not know. Uh, is it, is it a city maybe in Rhode Island? Uh, I, I don't know. What is it? Well, specifically, when we're talking about providence, we're talking about God's ongoing relationship with creation. So we talked about creation last last couple of weeks. So, so now we're talking about God's ongoing relationship with creation, which is why we're talking about providence now. And the Heidelberg Catechism, it, it asks the question, what do you understand by the providence of God? And the response is, God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them, that, that leaf and blade and rain and drought and fruitful and barren years— food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And that's found in question 27 of the Heidelberg Catechism. So what does that mean, you might wonder? That was a lot of things. What does that mean? Well, in other words, providence is the belief that God, in his goodness and power, that he preserves and accompanies and upholds and directs and governs all creatures, all actions, and all things, from the largest star in the galaxy to the smallest ant that is burrowed somewhere deep underneath the grass in your backyard right now with all the snow that's on top of it. Like everything from that largest star to the tiniest ant that, that God, the creator and king, governs over everything, big and small, over all things, to the praise of his glory, of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. So as we see throughout the Bible, providence then, the, the doctrine of providence, providence is, is the understanding that God is the one who gives life. He's the one that renews and sees and watches over and observes. Not only that, but he is the one who saves and protects, preserves, perseveres, leads, teaches, rules, works, upholds, and cares for for all of his creation. And and especially, as as regards to us as, as his people, especially for us as his people, Or listen to how Psalm 104 explains all of this. Psalm 104 reads, 
Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You're clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You made darkness, and it is night, when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things, both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Praise the Lord. Man, what a psalm, right? <laughs> and, and, and by reading through that and thinking through, I mean, not just Psalm 104, but countless other, uh, other psalms, countless other portions of Scripture, we see that it's through God's providence that we see God being actively involved in creation at each moment. 
right, th- this harkens back to some of our previous discussions and a lot of these systematic theology lessons as we've discussed how God is imminently with his creation and how the Bible presents the tender, watchful care over all of his creation in that he doesn't abandon creation after he made it. No, rather, God tends to it and sustains it by his infinite power and sovereignty. Thus, God's providence causes to continue what he has already called into existence. And he does it in three main ways. He does it by sustaining creation, by working in and through it, and by directing it for his good purposes. Those three avenues we're going to call preservation, concurrence, and government. That's kind of the theological ways of saying that, but it's, it's saying that, that same thing. Preservation is sustaining it. Uh, concurrence is working in and through it. And government is how God directs all things for his good purposes. And so we're going to look a little bit more closely at each three of those by examining the words of Romans chapter 11, verse 36. And that verse says this, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And so we're going to start uh, directing and walking through that and see if we can understand God's providence a little bit better. So Romans chapter 11, verse 36, begins with those words, for from him. And I, I highlight those words because part of God's providence in his preservation of all things is just that, is, is his preservation of everything. So firstly, preservation. God upholds and sustains all things. A couple of verses for you if you want to look them up. Hebrews 1.3, Colossians 1.17, Nehemiah 9.6, Job 34.14 and 15. Now, preservation is the term used to say that God keeps all created things existing and maintaining the properties which he created them to have. He is preserving his creation. God, in preserving all things he has made, he also causes them to maintain all the properties in which he created them to have. So think about water, for example. God preserves water in such a way that it continues to act just like water every single day. Except for when he wants it to act like ice or steam, but it's it's all water, right? He also causes grass to continue to act like grass, right? That's not going to all of a sudden act like an elephant. No, it, grass will always act like grass with all of its distinctive characteristics. So, so for example, as well, we see God preserving gravity, right? That's the reason that you aren't currently floating into the air right now, but you're either firmly standing or running or walking or sitting, right? Gravity isn't being suspended because God is actively keeping the laws that he instituted in working order. He is maintaining his created order and upholding and sustaining and preserving his creation. And, that, and that's what we mean when we're talking about providence. That's one of, the, one of the main things we see about providence. And so look at look with me at some verses that talk about this very thing. Colossians 1.15. He, talking about Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It's that preserving, right? Or think about Hebrews chapter 1, right? Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. 
He is the radiance, the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he, Christ, upholds the universe by the word of his power. You see, if Christ were to cease his continuing activity of sustaining all things in the universe, then everything except the triune God would just instantly cease to exist. So looking back uh, to last week, without Christ, nothing would come into existence, right? That's the doctrine of creation. And this doctrine, the doctrine of providence, is this. Without Christ, nothing would continue to exist. That's the doctrine of preservation. So without Christ, nothing would come into existence. And without Christ, nothing would continue to exist. And I don't know about you, but as part of God's creation, we can be very thankful to God for the preservation of our own lives. Right? This is what Elihu explains in his wisdom in Job 34, 14. He, he says, if he, talking about God, should take back his spirit to himself and gather to himself his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. Meaning that God, we know, is constantly preserving our lives in his providence. And if not, if, if for a moment God should just decide to take his spirit back up to himself, we would perish. We would just return to the dust. Which is a very humbling thought, right? So, so number one, God, God preserves or upholds and sustains all things. And now let's go back to Romans chapter 11, right? For from him, that's the first one, God upholds and sustains all things. From him and through him. And so through him, this, we're talking about in this the theological term called concurrence, which basically asserts that God works in and through all things, couple of verses for you that will also be in the show notes, but Genesis 45, 5, Ephesians 1, 11, Job 37, 6 to 13, Proverbs 16, 9, Proverbs 16, 33, Job 14, 5, Philippians 2, 13. And so concurrence is that theological word, uh, is the aspect of divine providence that describes how God works in and through all things, particularly the actions of God's creatures. So in concurrence, what we see is divine agency and human agency running together uh, or running alongside each other in specific actions, or as we'll talk about a little bit uh, more in detail uh, later on in our study of providence, this is compatibilism. So we'll we'll get into that a little bit more in next week's episode and and tease that out a little bit more. Uh, But concurrence basically means that God cooperates with created things in every action, He directs their distinctive properties to cause them to act exactly as they do. In other words, things that happen are, first and foremost, events that God causes to happen. Yet God works through the distinctive properties of each created thing. So these things themselves bring about the results that we see. And in this, we see both primary and secondary causes. So primarily is what we're talking about, right? So, so God is the divine cause of each event and works as an invisible behind-the-scenes directing cause and therefore can be called the primary cause that plans and initiates everything that happens. And we also know that the created thing brings about actions in ways consistent with the creature's own properties, Ways that can often be described by us or by professional scientists, right, who carefully observe the processes. 
right? These creaturely factors and properties can therefore be called secondary causes of everything that happens, even though they are the causes that are evident to us by observation. Like when we look at something, we only see the secondary cause. We, we don't see the primary cause. But we do see this clearly spoken of in the scriptures, where we are made known these things. Like Proverbs 16, 9, right? It says, the heart of man plans his ways, but it's the Lord who establishes his steps. We also know that it's the Lord that allows the man to actually have and make plans, to have the mental fortitude to be able to think at all. Uh, and we know the Lord is the one who establishes not only our boundaries, but also the times and seasons in which we live. So God is the primary cause. The, the heart of man planning his way is the secondary cause. But all we see is the heart of man planning the way. What we, what we often don't see is the Lord establishing his steps and creating the environment around the man where he, he can think rationally, um, plan things, uh, you know, all of those things. So, so there's a, a primary cause and there's a secondary cause. The cause. The primary is the Lord. The secondary is the the, the action that we see from the creation. Or, or think about think about with me as well. Acts chapter fourteen verse fifteen. It says, "Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, He allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways." Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Right? So, so in that, notice verse 17, Acts chapter 14, verse 17. The secondary cause of the growth of the food and the gladness of the hearts were the rains from heaven and the fruitful seasons. That's that secondary cause. Right? The rain caused the food to grow and the fruitful seasons made the heart glad. But behind those secondary causes, there's a primary cause, namely God. God is the one who gave the rains. God is the one who allowed the, there to be fruitfulness of those seasons, though they, they didn't see it. All they saw were the good gifts of God. They didn't see God behind all of it. I think with me as well through Acts chapter 17, verse 24. We're going to start at verse 24, keep reading through it. But this is what it says, Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 24. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and the earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> you might be thinking as you're reading that, man, didn't my parents decide where and when I was born? Well, yes, kind of, right? I mean, if everything went according to your birth plan and your mom didn't give birth in a McDonald's parking lot, right? <laughs> but, but let's say everything did go according to your parents' plans, like this hospital at this time, we're going to be living in this city. What this text says is that behind the secondary cause of your parents giving you life and deciding where you'd be born, there was a primary cause, namely God. God is the one who gave you life. He's the one who knit you together in your mother's womb. He's the one who decides when and where you would dwell on this earth. And he is the one who planned that you would be born exactly where you were born at what times you were born in. 
Have you ever thought why weren't you born in the night in the 1920s or the 1530s or the 1490s? Right? Why were you born now? Well, you were born exactly when God had determined that you would be born. And he is the one who has allotted all the boundaries of your dwelling place. Think about that. Meaning, he knows everywhere you could potentially live right now and where you couldn't. He knows exactly where you are and he is the one who has ordained all of it. And I think in, in days and seasons like that, that this is a very important thing for us to think through. Right? He knows and he has planned that you would be living right here, right now, in Manitoba, in 2022. <laughs> and it's no accident that he has you here, right? To live out your faith as lights amidst the darkness of our culture in this time and this season. He chose for you to walk through COVID here, right? And this is incredibly helpful to remember that your life isn't an accident, right? And that life wouldn't be better if you were born in a different era. We may joke on social media like, oh man, I, I wish it was 2019. We could just go out and do all the things, you know, that we used to be able to do and, you know, blah, 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 whatever. But, but really God has, has chosen for you to walk through this season and right, right now. See, the sovereign God over everything has determined you would be born when you were born and that you would be living here and now in this time and place right now for his glory to make disciples of those around you. And the doctrine of providence helps us see and understand that. Thus, this means that we should be thankful for all that God does in and through us. And not only us, but in all the things around us, right? If it rains, we should thank God. If crops grow, we should thank God. If all these silly things with our government were to ease off, we should thank God. Oh, and we would very much so thank God. Further as well, we we should be able to bask in the immensity of how God in, in in all these things, as we're thinking about the immensity of him and everything that's going on, we, we should be able to bask in that through this doctrine. Just how big is God that not even snow can fall without God having hand in it? Not even an animal's cry can be had without God's hand being over it. No child could ever be born without God's hand being over it. Thus, everything works in cooperation with God. Look at what Job 37, 6 to 13 says. For to the snow, he says, fall on the earth. Likewise to the downpour, his mighty downpour. He seals up the hand of every man, that all men whom he made may know it. Then the beasts go into their lairs and remain in their dens. From its chamber comes the whirlwind, and cold from the scattering winds. By the breath of God, ice is given. And the broad waters are frozen fast. Something we see happen every year. <laughs> he loads the thick cloud with moisture. The clouds scatter his lightning. They turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the habitable world. Whether for correction or for his land or for love, he causes it to happen. See, God is behind everything, friends. Even the snow, the ice, and all that we see, and even the things that we don't see, which should, as his people, give us extreme comfort and also allow us to just sit here amazed at the enormity of the God that we serve. I mean, what, what a crazy thing that he is the God who t sees that the earth is dry and tips over water buckets and waters the earth. He is the one that takes notice of, of all the animals that need to be fed, and he feeds them. What, the enormity of, of God and his 
preserving nature over his creation is just astounding. And so, so let's get back to the last part of Romans 11. Right? So it says, it says and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So the third thing that we want to understand is that in God's providence, we see that God rules and directs all things. Thus, he is directing all things for his good purposes. And the, the theological term for that is God's government, specifically that he governs and directs all things according to their appointed purpose. So we see this lots of places. I'm just giving you three, but Daniel chapter 4, verse 35, Romans 8, 28, Psalm 103, 19. And in other words, the world and everything in it is not ruled by chance or fate or by the devil, but rather by God, who is directing history actively and creation actively towards an ultimate goal. Scripture beautifully sums up all of this in repeatedly speaking of God as the creator king who governs over all things. Right? So, so Psalm 103.19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and, the, and his kingdom rules over all. Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 and 35 says, At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heavens, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? See, thus, thus God is the one who is steering the ship of history. There is a destination in Christ's purpose to bring the world to that goal will happen. Right? We know, Paul says, Romans 8, 28, that we know in all things that God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Ephesians 1, 7 to 12 explains, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, and all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth, and in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. See, brother and sister, we can't get too far in reading any of God's word without noticing that he is the one who governs all things. In fact, we see a few different aspects of his divine ordering towards his ultimate goals. First, God's governing activity is universal and doesn't just merely extend his own people. The Jews in the Old Testament or Christians in the New Testament, right? It extends to all matters and to all men and to all women. <laughs> that, that which is good and that which is not good. See, in fact, I, I was just reading this morning of God's word, of God's work in raising up pagan nations to lead his people out of the promised land because of their sinfulness. Thus, even raising up the Assyrians, the Babylonians, right? And then, and then Cyrus, raising him up as his instrument to do exactly what his hands and will had predetermined to happen. And everything unfolded exactly as it happened. We'll talk about this more in uh, next week's podcast, but, but even Joseph, right? Everything that happened to him, God ordained every jot and tittle of everything to be exactly what God wanted it to be at every single moment. And we see this throughout Scripture. Right? Think, of, think of the sermon at, at the beginning of the book of Acts where we read that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God and he was crucified by the hands of lawless men. 
right? And all of the concert of scripture just demands this verdict. God is sovereign in his governing activity over every speck of the universe. And nothing is out of place or out of order. All things are bending over backwards, exactly as he has created them, to accomplish all of his plans and purposes at every moment of every day. The, the good things, even the evil and bad things, truly, as Ephesians 1 explains, all things are working together according to the counsel of God's will. And we see that just repeatedly in the Old Testament. We, we see some spectacular sins uh, where we're like, man, how in the world is God going to use that in his purposes? And we see how it does and everything unfolds that, that even these spectacular sins don't ruin God's plans and purposes. No, God's governing activity is just universal. It's over every person and everything and all of creation. So that is hugely important, that it's, it's, his governing activity is, is universal over everyone, over everything. Second, God is good in his government. Romans 8.28, we talked about that a moment ago. Romans 8.28 says that God works for the good of those who love him. And the good that we see in Romans 8.28 is referring to God's purpose in conforming his children to the image of his son. Just look at verse 29, which is a plan that does include some situations that we might not think are very good from a human perspective, right? And this, this good also reminds us that, that things like suffering and persecution on account of the word, all of those are good things. They're godly things. And God is using these things within our lives to conform us as his people so that through the fires of persecution, things drip out of our lives that ought to not be there. We can have this confidence that God is good in his governing over all things. He's good all the time, and in all that he has ordained, he is good. And then thirdly, we see from God's word that God is personally concerned about those who are his, his elect, his sheep, his people. We, we see this as God the Father graciously ordains Right? And the Son wondrously lays humanity alongside of divinity to step into time, to lay down his life. For whom? Well, as, as we read in the book of John, we, we see that he comes to lay down his life for his sheep, his own, whom the Father has given to him. And we see this in God giving us God the Spirit to indwell us and seal us and empower us for good works that we have been predestined to walk in. And we have his word as a light and a guide to comfort us as we walk through this life, that we may grow in our knowledge of God, that he may commune with us through his word. And we've been given one another as a local church to affirm and disciple and discipline one another along this journey that we may continue to grow and be conformed through the persevering work of the spirit in the midst of us as a church family. And these and in many other ways throughout scripture, we see God's great concern for us as his people. And then fourthly, God is sovereign in his government, which means that he and he alone determines his own plan and knows the significance of each one of his actions. Right? In Psalm 103, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Or as it's put in the book of Daniel, he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? 
See, and as a word of caution on this point, you know, we also need to be reminded that you and I, dear brother and sister, we are never promised in God's word that, that one day we will know all of the whys, right? Why has God allowed certain things to happen throughout the stage of human history? Why did God allow this to happen? Why did God allow that to happen? God alone is the one who is omniscient. He knows all things. He knows all things, possible, probable, actual. He knows all things. We are never told that we will one day know all things. Now, might there be things that he allows us to know in the future? Perhaps. But we also must recognize that there are things that are in the deep, dark ocean depths of his providence that are too deep, too lofty for us to comprehend. And so we don't need to hold on to these vague promises that are actually not promises. The Bible's not promised them at all as, as, a, as a hope for maybe one day we'll know why these things happened. J.I. Packer explains that even when we've been in the renewed heavens and the earth for billions, billions of years, that we, <laughs> brother and sister, we will only be beginning to dip our toes in the vast ocean of the character and the nature of our glorious God. Thus, there are some things in life that are like those dark spots in a painting that make the beauty of the gospel shine all the brighter. Thus, as Christians, we are content with trusting and relying upon God's wisdom and providence over his creation, knowing that he alone determines his own plans and he alone knows the significance of each of the actions that he does. Which, which brings us to then a very important question. Why does all this matter? Why does this matter? Why, why are we studying God's providence? Well, because it, it means everything for our life and faith in Christ. Think about it for a second. Belief in, in God's providence means that we can trust God for all things because he's already handled our biggest problem, which is sin, <laughs> right? Faith in Christ enables us as believers, in spite of all the riddles that might perplex us and the tearful trials that come and go in our lives, that as believers in Christ, we cling to the conviction that the God who rules the world and is sovereign over every jot and tittle of it is the same loving and compassionate Father who in Christ has forgiven us of all of our sins <laughs> and who has accepted us and adopted us as his children. And we will receive, we will receive all of the promises that he has given to us. And, and he will receive us with joy into his glorious presence forever. So in all of our suffering and tears, Christians look forward with joy to the future, with faith in God's fatherly hand of providence. God's providence is precisely a source of deep humility and hope and trust and consolation and courage. Thus, we can trust him. Also, God's providence means that we can be patient in adversity. See, if we know that God is working, that he's working for our ultimate good, then we can wait knowing that he hasn't forgotten us. Right? <laughs> he hasn't forgotten us. And not only that, but, but he has ordained everything in the universe to accomplish all of his plans and purposes 
Thus, the Lord is with us. We need not be worried or anxious. Right? Even when walking through COVID, some of our many fears in the future state of our country. No, r- rather we can trust that uh, and, and relish in the fact that Justin Trudeau is not sovereign over Canada. No, God is. And everything is unfolding exactly as he's ordained. Thus, we can be confident. We can take bold stance. We can trust in God as we are patient in adversity, knowing that he has us exactly where we are in human history at this exact moment so that we may trust and depend on him in our adversity. God has not forgotten us. No, he's working in our waiting. He's making our faith shine as stars in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation that we might be salt and light to the world, that they may be convicted of their sin and trust in the light of the gospel of our good God through our patient endurance amidst suffering. Which then leads us to gratitude. See, a hearty grasp on the doctrine of God's providence means that we are able to be thankful in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. Like, like Paul in Philippians 4, right? Whether it's prosperity or poverty. We know God has ordained all things for the good of those who love him. As all things are passing through his hands and are meant for our pruning and our ultimate joy in the gospel as we are conformed to the image of his son. So we can be thankful that God has seen to it that we are in the circumstance that we are in right now. And while we may not understand all the reasons for the circumstance, though our hearts may feel like they're breaking in two at all the suffering and scars that we bear, We can know that God knows all about our sufferings and that God is at work in our lives even now to bring us closer to him and more closely conform to the image of his son. And it's why Paul can say to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then lastly, the doctrine of providence is meant to lead us to hope. See, with a view to the future, God's providence means that we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father and that nothing shall separate us from his love. See, we are in his hands. Nothing can snatch us out. And Jesus is right now preparing a place for us. Thus, we have a hope that no one else in the world has because we've been given a promise that no one else has. We know that this world is not our home. We are simply passing through. And we know beyond a shadow of doubt that God loves us and will never leave us. He'll never forsake us never allow us to depart from him. Thus, he will persevere us to the end for his glory. Praise be to God. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Basecamp, the equipping ministry of the Trails Church in Winnipeg, Manitoba. The outline for this course was graciously provided by the wonderful folks at Capitol Hill Baptist Church, and we are so thankful for their investment into our ministry. We pray these deep truths will begin to dig deep into our souls in the days and weeks ahead that we may have a deep confidence in God. We're looking forward to continuing our Exodus series as well this weekend as a church as we'll be back in Exodus chapter seven. We look forward to seeing you then.